You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. Well, I hope you've enjoyed walking through the story of creation over the past couple episodes, and that it's helped you to not just see and hear something that you know already, but to see a God that you didn't have a full picture of. I really think there's three aspects that are really important in this first part of the narrative. One, that God reveals himself from the beginning as a plural singular, in the same way that he shows humanity to be a singular plural. It's going to be helpful for us to understand our unique design, and it's also going to be incredibly helpful to take our unique design to help us understand God's character, to see the invisible through our visibleness. The other is that he is ordered and in control. That shows up from the very beginning that God takes chaos and makes order out of it. He has a design, and his design is so firmly established that he can sit down and rest in that design, that he's going to maintain it and keep it moving for as long as it fits his purposes. He is in control. Even when there are moments that we feel like the world is completely out of control, he is always present always there, and always has his hands on the wheel. The last is that God, although fully capable of doing all things by himself, creates a humanity with which he establishes a unique relationship. In fact, it shows God to be highly relational, that he wants to share with his creation, not just be in power over Although he gives commands to his creation from the very beginning, they're completely unlike the ancient narratives. They're not man-made just to be subservient to do the menial tasks. Man and woman are given a high position as kings and queens at the same moment to be priests that watch over the worship and the glory of this God of creation. We are to be, and this is going to be highlighted throughout the biblical text, a kingdom of priests. And this shows up all the way in the beginning of the narrative by God allowing us into his world order. It's purposeful, and he wants us to have a place in it. In seeing those three aspects of how God reveals himself in the first two chapters, we now move to the chapter of the fall, chapter 3. Nowhere in the text does it actually use the word fall, But to move away from this relationship and this purpose that God has created is to fall from the heights from which he planned for us, to miss out on the best. What shows up in this narrative is a serpent. Now, almost all of the pictures that we've ever seen shows a serpent up in a tree speaking to Adam and Eve, telling them to eat of this fruit. It may be a literal serpent that was taken over by some being in order to speak to Adam and Eve, or it could be just simply a chaos creature. Chaos creatures within the ancient world were creatures that worked against order. They were creatures of non-order. They wanted things to just be a free-for-all, 
regularly shown within the ancient world to take the place of a serpent or a leviathan. This fits within the ancient narrative of how chaos reigned. It came through the work of these serpent creatures, whether literal or figurative. This serpent creature enters into this narrative with Adam and Eve and asks Eve a specific question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve's answer is to say that they could eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will surely die. Already, she's beginning to do something described as hedging. It's to put boundaries around something so that you can make it even harder to get to the thing you're not supposed to get to. God never said you couldn't touch the tree. He just said that you couldn't eat from the tree. In fact, they were commanded to care for all of the trees in the garden, which as a caregiver, you're probably going to have to trim and put in order. But in order to keep herself from it, she begins to set boundaries that God did not provide. So the chaos creature engages that and says, there's a reason why God wants you to stay away from it because he knows that when you eat it, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. Eve decides that this is a good deal. She has been under the control of this creator God, a God who set his design and said, you're to follow my decrees. Yes, you rule over all of my creation and all of the creatures that I have put into this earth, but I am the one who sets order. I am the one who has ultimate control. Eve, for whatever reason, decides that that is not appropriate, and she wants to be the one to set order and take control. So she takes from the tree, eats from it, Adam, it says, is right there in the middle of the garden. As being there, he passively lets Eve do what God had said they shouldn't do. He also takes from Eve and eats just like she does. And this is where the insight of who God is hits us from a completely different direction than what most of us are used to. Most of us, when we hear about how God reacts to sin and rebellion, We hear that he hates it and that he cannot be in the presence of sin. But what happens in this narrative is that as soon as Adam and Eve eat from the tree, here comes God walking in the garden. He comes looking for them. He asks them, where are you? God in this narrative shows himself to be not a being, not a creator that is separated by sin, but one who's almost attracted by sin, that the moment it shows up, he is going to step into the middle of it. This is the first time in the story that we see God actually entering into relationship in a specific way with Adam and Eve. So it has even more weight to it that this is how God engages his creation. He engages them and is right there to help when things go wrong. Now, how's his way to help? The first thing that the narrative says is after he finds them, interacts with them, sees them blaming each other for the process, he walks through and says, 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to punish sin in the same way a parent would do for a child. I don't want you to touch the hot stove. I don't want you to hit your sister. So I'm going to punish you so that the punishment keeps you from going down that road any further. After he punishes sin for the chaos creature, for woman, and for man, he then turns and does this incredible thing. He covers the sin of Adam and Eve. He says, you guys tried to use leaves to cover over your nakedness. The fact that you no longer had naivete, now I'm going to cover it, and I'm going to cover it with the first recorded death, with the first recorded sacrifice. So what God does is he uses his creation to pay for our sins. This is going to be a foreshadowing of what God is going to do in the future, as well as what is called the Proto-Evangelion that shows up beforehand. It's the before gospel. That's what Proto-Evangelion means. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God was going to work through woman to send a descendant who would bring order, final order, against the chaos and set things the way that they were meant to be from the very beginning. That's going to take a while. And the last thing that God does is very interesting. He banishes them from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because he's afraid that if they stay there, they will eat from the tree of life and live forever. God interacts and engages our sin, not just by coming to find us in our brokenness, not just by covering up what we have messed up, not just making a sacrifice, but ultimately God shields us from the effects of our sin. He doesn't want them to have to endure this punishment eternally. And so he moves them away so that they will surely die, that there will be an end to their suffering, and that he will be able to make all things new. If that doesn't change your perspective of who God is and how he interacts and relates to sin, that we have a God who doesn't just condemn us in our sin, but does everything he can to meet us in it, cover it, to sacrifice for it, and to shield us from it. That is how our God reacts to our sin. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.